What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest has a passion for pioneering new ideas and approaches. He's a keynote speaker at numerous industry conferences. He is the chief innovation officer at the Gettys Group. He is the founder of the Hotel of Tomorrow. He's also a good buddy of mine, ladies and gentlemen, Ron Swidler. Welcome, Ron. Thank you, Dan. Pleasure to be with you as always. The most flattering thing you said was that I was your friend. So thank you for that. Aw, now you're making me blush in this bright sunlight. Um, so one of the things that I appreciate so much about you, and there are many, many things, but this idea of being a chief innovation officer, um, because one of the things, one of the many things I appreciate about you is you're always kind of out there pushing and trying new things. And I guess maybe we're kind of kindred spirits in that way. And I'm just a believer like, hey, if you stop innovating, you sink or you die. Well, maybe not die. Well, maybe you do die. But like, how did you, where did this passion of constant innovation and reinvention come from within you? And, and tell us about that. I really am curious. So uh, that's such a great opening question. So thank you for that. You know, Sting was um, interviewed recently uh, after getting off the TED stage and he was asked to define creativity. And his answer was courage. And, and I love that as an answer because I feel like it takes courage. Uh, creativity takes courage. Innovation takes courage. Um, and kind of trying to see what you're capable of. I mean, even as a kid, I was kind of challenged to say, what, what are you, what are you capable of? What, what, what is, what does the world look like, uh, if you bring your full potential? And so throughout my course of my career now, uh, 33 years with this wonderful organization, the Gettys Group, um, and, over time, we've just said, hey, you know what, we need to keep changing, we need to be innovating, we need to keep up with expectations of guests, expectations of clients, new technologies and the way that we do things. And so all of that led to this kind of curiosity, this need for creativity and this courage to support it. So innovation is a passion. Um, because I get bored easily as well. Uh, I feel like if I was just doing the same thing over and over again, I would get tired of it. I think other people would get tired of it as well. So this passion and drive is self-serving, but it's also uh, just kind of trying to keep up with the world that's changing so quickly, quite honestly. It is really, I mean, the amount of change that we're, we've all just gone through in the past, call it five years, is astounding. And it's amazing to me. I hear this all the time. And I think I went to your, the Getty anniversary party, but 33 years now, that's just wild. Like on, a, on the origin story side of things, walk me through like the very beginning. Like, how did y'all meet? How did you wind up on this journey of where you are right now? Uh, luck. You know, I think if you read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, which one was it? it? Wasn't tipping point. It was uh, one with ten thousand hours. Now I forget. Outliers. Name, outliers. Outliers. Right. So he believes that you have to have all the conditions have to be right for something good to happen, but you certainly have to have uh, some luck too. And I certainly had luck. I was working. I graduated with a degree in interior design, actually, and um, among other interests, uh, found a job, worked for a year, and then came to Chicago looking for a job and was a waiter at a restaurant where Roger and Andrew and the other founders of the Gettys Group were having lunch uh, with Roger's family. And by luck, they were at my table. By luck, I overheard their conversation about starting a design firm in the same building where the restaurant was. By luck, I kept going back and, uh, well, not by luck, by 
by opportunity, I kept going back and refilling their water uh, to overhear their conversation and uh, approached them afterwards and said, look, I'm a designer, actually not just a waiter looking for work here. And that led to a part-time job. Um, they hired me as a draftsman and as a, you know, do everything, answer the phone. There were actually phone calls that would come into a central hard line back in 1988, Dan, you may remember that. Um, and uh, and I worked part time for 11 months um, until we had enough work that I meaning I was working downstairs at the restaurant and upstairs at the Gettys Group. I would literally show up, work in the morning, put on a tuxedo, go down and wait tables in an Italian restaurant for the lunch shift, come back to the Gettys Group, work the rest of the day, go back downstairs and work the dinner shift at the restaurant. So um, yeah, so I, I guess I'm. Uh, it, I was lucky, but it was also, it took some work. Well, it, and hearing you say luck, luck, luck numerous times, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, the harder I work, the luckier I become. Uh, I love that line and we'll give it to Thomas Jefferson. Uh, I don't know if it was him or not, but I, but I love that idea. Um, right. So you have to create the conditions um, uh, for good things to happen and hopefully they do. Um, and I was, I was, I was very fortunate, but it has been a great journey. And I've innovated um, my job uh, and done my part to innovate our company over time. And, um, you know, been given an opportunity through my, my partners and friends here to explore what's possible. And, you know, what a gift that is, right? To, to say, uh, we believe in you. I mean, one of the most courageous things, going back to courage and sting for a second, one of the most courageous things was when we started the branding agency 10 years ago. And we were trying to convince Marriott at the time that um, we were capable of doing branding um, at a time where they were just learning what the autograph collection could be and what these kind of unique boutique destination personality driven experiential hotels could be. And um, I remember at the meeting, I said, it was with Tina Edmondson. I said, Tina, I said, we don't know the, the best way to do this yet, but we're confident we can figure it out. And that's courage, right? That's, that's convincing someone that you have the capability without the experience. That's, that's part of the world we're living in today too, right? Is to say, I don't know how we're going to figure this thing out, but I have enough belief in you and the other people. You're, I mean, look, you're on my advisory board for the Hotel Tomorrow Project. Thank you, Dan, for that. Thank you for um, the opportunity. Well, you deserved every bit of it. Um, but the, that, even that philosophy of how do you make it in a world that pandemic or no pandemic is changing so rapidly. And part of my philosophy, but also our Gettys Group philosophy is surround yourself with people who you trust that can be advisors, that can be uh, mentors, that can be you know, the, the kind of people that you can, you want to share life's adventures with. And when you start something new, um, like an ambitious project, like the Hotel of Tomorrow project, um, you're figuring it out as you go along. I mean, Phil Cordell, who's an amazing leader, by the way, if you don't know him from Hilton, I've had the pleasure of working with Phil several different times on different projects. He liked to say when we were working on creating the Tempo brand together, he said, you know, we're assembling this plane as we're flying. So, um, if you're comfortable with that, then, you know, you can be on this team. And if you're not comfortable with that, that's okay too. But, you know, just know that, you know, that we have, a, we have a lot to, um, to still learn as we go. I think admitting what we don't know and being willing to take a risk, it is definitely courageous. And I think, you know, hearing, I didn't know that you waited tables downstairs. I, I somehow I missed that memo. But one of the things that I'm really curious about with respect to this whole hospitality world is I actually never waited tables. Um, I worked in retail. I worked in factories. I did all these things when I was a kid, but I, ne I picked apples, but I never actually delivering hospitality. And that's why I think when it was, when I moved out to California and I, and I felt that for the first time, um, it allowed me and inspired me to take risks of trying to make other people feel, feel comfortable and, and being awestruck by those that do such a good job at it. Mm. So 
if I if we go back to the Ron of waiting tables in a tuxedo, which is hilarious. <laughs> did you do drafting in a tuxedo after as well? No, I changed clothes. At least I you took did. my blazer off. So you know, did you keep little... the bow tie on? Of course I did. You know, okay, it's good. a business environment. There was no such thing as business casual in 1988. It was tuxedos required at the Gettys Group. So if you think about the idea of waiting on Roger and Andrew and Roger's parents at that table, and then going upstairs and working and designing these spaces where uh, are meant, that are meant to make others feel comfortable, like how would you define hospitality? What's the thread that runs through all that? Yeah, you, you had talked about... Um, kind of making people feel good. And, you know, most people are familiar with my Angelou's quote about forgetting what, you know, what I've said or what I do, but remembering how I make you feel. And I think ultimately that's what hospitality has evolved into. And, and I have an in interesting theory about how that's going to progress out into the future, because we're only at one step of that evolution. But, but I think when we're at our best, we're caring for others. Um, and there's a bit of selfless, selflessness in that. Um, and hospitality, ultimately, you're caring for other people. And, and the pandemic brought to light this other kind of, you know, re, re, kind of reset the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs a little bit because safety at a hotel before was defined as one thing. And then during the pandemic, safety became sanitization and cleanliness. And because we're dealing with a deadly virus out there. So um, I think how you make people feel is, and really caring for people. And, and some people are kind of, are wired that way to, to be um, kind of, and I, I'll quote Ritz Carlton here, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. But the basic idea is how do you take good care of the people that have chosen to stay with you, whether they're guests in your home or they're someone at your table or they're someone who's chosen to, to spend the night uh, at your hotel. And I think what we do at the Gettys Group really well is think about the entire guest experience. Um, that's really why we started the branding agency 10 years ago was because you know, design, you remember, Dan, design was designed for design sake back then. It, because think about how hotels promoted themselves with pretty pictures. It was pre, you know, social media. It was pre TripAdvisor and online review sites. It was, if we had a website, which was brochureware for a hotel that we owned, and we, we did actually own some hotels 10 years ago. Um, it was take the prettiest picture of the prettiest room put it up on the website and tell people that it's available and at what rate. Um, then of course the, 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 sh the paradigm shifted to be that the guest was in control of, it isn't what you say about yourself. It's what the guest thinks about you. So now think of the importance of making people feel great. Um, it just rose in importance because it become, it became completely transparent. There was no opacity anymore. You couldn't, you couldn't show one renovated room when you've only renovated part of the hotel and not all of the hotel. You have to be representative of the entire guest experience. Um, you said something it's, uh, that you feel that we're at our best when we're caring for others. And uh, it, I think that's really kind of at the essence of this exploration that I'm going through and well, really with my guests on this podcast. And actually last night, I just watched 60 Minutes and they did a piece on this hotel out in Fogo Island. Have you ever heard of Fogo Island? Yes, it's like yes. way Eastern Newfoundland. It's yeah. like 30 minute as far time as difference. As you can go, I think, yeah. Yeah, next stop, Ireland. Yeah. And they, they interviewed the founder of the hotel. Um, the, her name is escaping me right now. But she said for her, it's love of a stranger. And again, that's, that's really caring for the others. And it, like the Maya Angelou, um, I actually don't know if I've ever heard that one. So that oh. is incredible. And thank you for sharing. Oh, well, I, I should have I given it to you verbatim. But um, what, what she said was, uh, people will forget what you say and people will forget what you do but they won't forget how you made them feel. And it's interesting, we're, we're going through, we're developing a new brand for a client of ours right now. And it's a very interesting concept that we're working on. And we are trying to kind of go for what I think is, 
is kind of the Disney castle. It's the, it's the brass ring. It's the, the thing that you want to be known for, right? That, that is an ambitious kind of moonshot. And that is, could you promise exceptional service? Irregardless of, could you focus more on service delivery? And yes, you have to support it with interesting food and beverage and programming in a beautiful environment. And, um, but could you, could you really win market share? And ultimately the hospitality industry, as you know, is all about um, you know, market share. Could you really win market share by using technology to help you in providing the most caring hospitality and maybe the most efficient hospitality as well? Um, we used to think that luxury was in, in luxury hospitality was defined by the number of people, the quality, the size of the room, the amount of space, the quality of the fit and finish around you. Well, I'm not sure that that's the definition of luxury alone anymore. That still is a definition of luxury. I remember I was, it was working on a project in Macau. This is back when Macau was first being established as a, uh, a gaming destination and, and they had just filled the land between Kalawan and Taipa for the Kotai Peninsula. And uh, we went to one of the old uh, casinos that was there on Macau. And when you walked in, I can't remember the name of the casino, there was a glass floor and armed guards around the perimeter of the room and gold bars, real gold bars or fake gold bars that looked real underneath the glass bulletproof floor. And that was their way of saying, this is a luxurious, expensive place that you're entering. And I thought, what a strange way of defining luxury, okay? So maybe that's an old way, the gold standard, right? Maybe that's an old way of defining rich or defining luxury. What, is, what does luxury look like going forward? And maybe it is this personalized service that has just the right amount of attentiveness. Maybe it's transformative. Maybe by staying with us at our hotel, you come out better than you came in. Um, that would be a beautiful promise to deliver on. But a lot of what you can do now is exceed expectations on service delivery. And I know that's particularly hard in a in a resource constrained world that we're living in right now in this kind of, you know, period of time. But if you could get that right, that's the brass ring. That's the, I call it the Disney castle. My buddy, Paul, who's a former Disney guy says, what is the one thing that you associate with Disney and don't say Mickey mouse. And the answer is the castle because it's viewable from the entire park. It has to be. That's kind of, what is your signature kind? I would of say thing? it's a small world. <laughs> that's because they they that got stuck in your brain right they they hearing that song over and over again yeah but i i also think um it's you know through all these conversations and connections it's like each conversation that i'm having with everyone just in life and on this podcast it just really what i love about it is it makes the world a smaller place and if you, if you tie it back to when we're at our best it's caring for others right? It's kind of shortening someone else's journey, right? Hey, I want to make sure you're in good hands here. And actually, that's what's exciting me so much about uh, the Hotel of Tomorrow project that you founded. Because at its core, it's about shortening other people's journeys. It's taking the best ideas, cramming them into a crew, adding fire, uh, seeing what comes out, but then also having it be open source so that everyone can benefit and everyone can learn from the direction that, and, and the direction and kind of those, the birth of those, all those new ideas. Uh, so how did you come up with that idea for the hotel of tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. So this started in 2003. I had a friend of mine through, um, Literally, my father-in-law, who's a professor at uh, Northwestern at Kellogg, had a student in his class who was um, a guy that reminded him of me. And he said, I, I want you to meet this guy. I think that he's a really interesting guy. I think you'd enjoy meeting him. So I, so I meet this guy. His name is Matt Phillips. He's also on the board of Hotel Tomorrow. And this guy, his job is as a breakthrough strategist to come up with new innovations for industry. 
So someone like Paramount comes to him and asks him for his advice on how to rethink their theme parks. So he is looking for people like me as thinkers to contribute to a, a two-day workshop that he was hired by a Fortune 100 company to come up with some new solutions. And he hires me. And for two days, we're in this intensive ideation, facilitation, conceptualization, presentation, mind-blowing experience. We generated, I can't remember what the actual number was, but hundreds of concepts in these couple of days. And I came out of it and I said, whoa, wait a second here. The hotel industry doesn't do that. The hotel industry doesn't bring together. We had a guy from NASA. We had a woman from a reality TV show. We had some really interesting people all. We had a guy from IDEO in the room. We had some amazing people in the room who were contributing their way of thinking to a problem that was unrelated to their area of expertise. They were in the room because they could think quickly on their feet, they could connect dots, they saw the world differently and they could work well with others. And so I was invited into that room and I went through that process. I said, wow, we should develop a way for the hospitality industry to come together in a similar way. And we could bring in vendors, we could bring in owners, we could bring in operators, we could bring in designers, we could bring in people from even outside the industry and see what they think about the future of hospitality. That was the very essence of where it started. Now, the process of building a think tank around that idea, as you might imagine, is far more complex than that. Getting people to believe in what you believe in, um, raising the interest level, the money, the getting the time commitment, building the infrastructure, all of that over time took, you know, it, it took a, a commitment and a passion to to, in a belief that, that it was in everyone's best interest. Because to your point, Dan, it was, it had to be a win-win-win. It had to be something that would benefit um, everyone involved, right? Whether you were a vendor or you were a, a, a hotel brand or a designer, it had to be beneficial to the Gettys Group or we wouldn't do it because um, it was a big investment of time um, to, to build this thing out. Uh, and it had to be a benefit to the industry or why do it, right? We had to be able to share what we came up with in a way that was easy for people to understand. And, you know, we were in tons of media sources. I remember USA Today put us on the cover of their life section. Um, and that was a, a big deal to us because we reached hundreds of thousands or millions of people with our thinking. And it was all to your point to close that gap between your present thinking and perhaps your future thinking or a future thought that may or may not come to fruition, but at least it opened up people's minds to the possibilities and things did come out of it. I mean, I was uh, literally at a meeting over on Michigan Avenue earlier today with a client because he's renovating this building and we're working on it with him. And he said, so do you think we could put one of these rolling robots into uh, the lobby here and have it come outside and draw people in. And you know, that robot that uh, I've seen in a loft hotels. And I said, well, I know that robot. We conceptualized that robot in 2005 as part of the hotel of tomorrow project. Um, and so there were a lot of ideas that have since come to fruition that maybe through our you know, process, we, we open people's ideas, uh, open their minds to new ideas and possibilities. I think, uh, you know, tying it back to Sting also, to really go out on that and get stakeholders involved, it really took not just belief, like you said, but also courage to, hey, this might not work, but let's see what we can do and get it out and share. Because truly, it is open source. You do put it out there. I jokingly always say that, you know, everything that we do from design to art to everything, it's, it's all built on and inspired by someone who did it before us or nature. And I call R&D. I mean, there is true R&D, but really you're, you're inspired by all this other stuff. So it's really like rip off and duplicate. Right. <laughs> but if, if, if you, if you do it in a way that it helps others shorten their journey. I think that that's, uh, I mean, it's super admirable. And I think that's really what, 
excites me about the project because, you know, you've been doing this for years, but really in this tumultuous time, as we come out of whatever we're coming out of, it's really exciting what's on the other side. Yeah, I, it is exciting. Um, and I do want to get there, but I want to, I want to close the gap here in the, uh, in the storyline. So in 2004, we had our first, um, we had the first Hotel Tomorrow project and we brought together um, about, I don't know, 50 or 60 people and we had some great support and um, we, we came up with these ideas and we showed them in Vegas at HD, um, at, at HD Expo. We built this like 20 foot by 90 foot long futuristic museum exhibit of concepts and thanks to HD for their support. And at the time we had um, Howard Wolf from WATG and we had Starwood and we had um, Joie de Vivre. Those were the, you know, Christian Strobel was a big believer in what we were doing. Chip was a big believer in what we we're doing. So part of it is when you have an idea that you feel good about, and then some people who you really admire say, yeah, that's a damn good idea. Um, I, I'll support you on that. Then, then it kind of blows some wind into your sails and you, you feel like you have that momentum to build it forward. So that was 2004. We, we, we made it larger in 2005. In 2006, we got Parsons School of Design involved and we started reaching out to more university involvement. After 2006, we internalized it. We said, this is a, it was, it was over a hundred people. It was an annual event. It was costing us a lot of time and money to, to, to pull this thing off. And we said, we've built a process that would benefit us as a company. We, we need to continue to look to the future. We need to have an internal ideation and facilitation process for our own projects. Because when the brands are coming to us or clients are coming to us and saying, how do we design not for today, but for tomorrow, there's a whole other kind of set of expectations, right? This isn't simply saying this seems to be appropriate today, but how do you really tap into a deeper sense of where things are going to make sure that your solutions can last? So we internalized this whole thing and, and we kind of left it there. We, we did other, we did some other things um, with some other friends in the industry, but nothing at the scale of, of really the hot project until the pandemic hit. And in 2020, um, you know, the world changes. And we thought now more than ever, we need to bring people together to help us solve problems we can't solve on our own. I don't know what safety and sanitization looks like in light of the pandemic. I don't know what integration of new technology looks like to help with, you know, contact tracing or touchless interactivity, or um, I don't, we, we don't, we couldn't answer these things. And so we said, everyone's asking themselves the same questions. Why don't we bring people together and hopefully be a catalyst for bringing out the best in thinking and behavior hoping that hotels would do what they could to support their local communities and their employee team members and everything else. So, um, so we really brought it back to life. So I just wanted to say that, yeah, 2004, five, six, things really escalated. Then we just internalized all of that at, for our own benefit and our client's benefit. And then we kind of, you know, uh, looked at the world and said, we need to try to make a, a difference for everybody's benefit um, last year. And as you know, we're doing it again this year. Um, but this year is like, we're, we're, we're pushing further out into the future in our thinking and our process. It's almost as if in 2004, look, the design process is an iteration. It's, it's a process you get from point A to point B, but it's almost as if with the hotel of tomorrow and it's in its birth, you like Phil Cordell said, you, you created a process by which you can build the plane while taking flight, right? Then after internalizing yeah. it, you know, in this existential threat for all of us, you're like, you know what, we need to share this with everyone. And I think that's, I mean, that's just incredible as far as to bring it back to Maya Angelou and just, you know, caring for others. Like, yes, we're all going to benefit from this. And it's by your leadership that we're doing it. And it's crazy, the growth that is happening just from, I know you mentioned Parsons, but just getting more and more schools involved, more and more brands involved, more and more other firms that are even competitive to yours. But it's not even about that. It's about the bigger 
idea about about it. So I just I'm just super grateful to be a part of it and also um, to just learn more and more about it. So I just want to say thank you. Oh, thank you, Dan. Thank you. Um, look, <clears throat> I just you know I I try to look at the world with eyes wide open and and when we we see many things changing very quickly and we don't know what the implications will be for ourselves uh, or for our businesses. Uh, and if we are honest and say, we don't have the answer for ourselves, nor should it be an answer just for ourselves. It should be an answer that benefits all. Then how do we take in what is uh, you know, an ever-growing amount of information on the subject of the future on the subject of hospitality and bring the information in a useful way to people, not just so they can read about it, but they can start thinking about applying it. I mean, that's, that's really the, uh, an important aspect of the HOT project um, is the, it's, it's how, how can you try on some of this information? So if I told you that AI artificial intelligence or, or smart, smart anything um, was going to change the way we live in the future, you'd say, okay, I get it, right? But then I said, well, think about AI as a, a light bulb that when you went from fire to, to, to a light bulb that you could electrify something and all of a sudden, whoa, that object had so much more value in life, okay? And now I could tell you, oh, that light bulb is actually on the internet right now, so I can turn it on or off from my phone. Um, and you've just taken um, a, lot of, a lot of possibility here and given it intelligence or some form of artificial intelligence or smartness, right? So, but then I said, now I want you to think about what you could do with that in the future of a hotel guest room, just around the bed, for example. What about, what about that present environment that serves a human need for rest? Could you give additional, you know, kind of intelligence to? and um, put it on the internet. What would the future of the hospitality guest experience look like if that bed was smart? And that's how we ended up with this bed XYZ concept that we came up with last year. So we're asking people not just be aware that, there are, that sensors are available to, 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 to measure all of these things or to adjust all of these things and that they're so affordable and they're ubiquitous and your, your handheld device has the power to interact with those sensors and et cetera, et cetera. But solve the problem for yourself. Look at your own business and say, what if those case goods could tell me the day they were installed and the person who actually put made that joint and if it failed, uh, you know, which room it was in. And, um, you know, it, it, it could talk to other, other, other pieces of furniture of the same vintage uh, and monitor their performance. And like all of a sudden this like ability to imagine the future for your own, whatever your area of mastery is or your business is, um, that's when information becomes valuable, when you can start to apply it in some way. And that's what the hot project is. Otherwise, we could just send people articles. Oh, you should read this. You'd, you'd find this interesting. Even if it was personalized, read this article. It relates to your business. That's, that's fine. But what if I said, I put three other people in the room with you who also would be affected by you know, this, this future and this technology? What might you do with it together? I think, you know, as you were speaking and thinking about this open source sharing of, of information, um, I'm reminded of a book I read called Exponential, Expo Exponential Organizations, written by a guy named, I think his name is Salim Ishmael. And he, basically the premise is, okay, we can all get our head around linear thinking and linear progress, right? A, a straight line. But once things get exponential in growth, humanity and our brains and the way that we think about it we just can't comprehend it. Uh, an example that he used was just over um, the, the, the growth of mobile phones, 
not even before smartphones, analysts from all the different banks would be like, oh, it's going to be a 20%, a 50% increase. But no, it was like, it was exponential. And every every um, analyst missed, missed it over and over. And if you think about as it pertains to our industry or any industry with respect to AI and blockchain and just machine learning and what does all that mean? We can't get our head around what it looks like. We, it, we can't even fathom. So the more that we can kind of pull back and even with Hotel Tomorrow, pulling back that curtain and peering into what might be, it would might help season our brains to, uh, to be able to picture that future. Yeah, so, so Thomas Friedman, who you might remember from, um, you know, The World is Flat was his most famous book, but he also wrote a book called um, Thank You for Being Late. And there's a diagram that he puts in the book that shows, yes, the, the rate of adoption of things like, you know, uh, television and the internet and cell phones, and they all follow this, you know, quickly rising exponential growth path. Do you know what the path looks like for humans' evolution? Our ability to change. It's just slightly better than over time. It's just slightly better than flat. Okay. So at some point, this, this quick rise in technology and our slow rise in human evolution created a gap that now technology and its rate of change has far exceeded humans' ability and rate of change. And so we will feel like we can't catch up. Now, that's an interesting idea, right? So Kevin Kelly, the author of a fantastic book called The Inevitable, um, 2016 book on the 12 inevitable forces that are changing the future. Um, he says that that's because the technology hasn't evolved enough yet for it to be more intuitive, to be more adaptive, more personalized. And so his belief is that our version of technology growth and human growth end up becoming synced, that, that, that technology aids the human evolution far more than it has to date. Right now, a device sits outside of your body. It doesn't read your thoughts or give you thoughts, but it sure is a lot of information in your finger, at your fingertips. Um, that's not going to slow down. So um, in, in light of all of this kind of chatter about interesting evolution of, of technology is, is back to the other parallel path we've been walking down together, which is the, the rate of change as humans. Like what are, what do, how are we, hospitality again is how you make people feel as you and I talked about it, taking care of people. It's about people, right? So more than ever, I feel like the pandemic has brought to light the importance of caring for one another and caring about one another. One of the most amazing things about um, technology is that it can be an empathy tool, which purely means that you have a greater level of connection, understanding, and shared feelings as another human being, not empathy with a machine, but empathy with a person. So Hilton, who's been uh, supportive of the Hotel Tomorrow, and they're, they're one of the sponsors, has been running, and one of the speakers at our event is a woman named Blair Bajwani, who's been running um, empathy training using virtual reality so that the executives at Hilton could have a deeper understanding and appreciation for what it takes to clean a guest room. To, uh, to, to, to put a uh, room service delivery tray together uh, and more. Because if we are making decisions with more knowledge and more empathy, then the decisions we make will be different, right? So another company who I'm actually um, you know, doing an interview with later today, MindClick, who's one of the sponsors of the Hot Project, is focused on the technology doing the analysis of the sustainable rating of all the products that go into all the hotels, literally the products that go into making the products that go into hotels. And so they will be able to map the carbon footprint of a hotel, of a guest room, um, of an entire development. And with this additional information, 
right? Whether it's VR and empathy or, or it's information that then guides us to make different decisions. I mean, that's what the HOT Project is about. How do we bring enough information to people's attention in a way that they feel they can understand it, they can start to apply it, and then maybe they will make some different decisions in the future about the projects they work on. So we talked before about, okay, renovation and design 10 years ago, 20 years ago was about aesthetics, pretty for pretty's sake, okay? Nothing wrong with that. You had to compete against the hotel up the street that just renovated. You need a beautiful design. Now it evolves into story-driven design, experiential design, et cetera. And that was the conversation we were having about autograph collection and others that were focused more on unique guest experiences and story amplification, right? So some future of the hospitality industry through different lenses, through a sustainability lens, through a wellness lens, which is back to our transformative travel conversation, or through some other lens will change, say it was community, right? So we have this Kia Weatherspoons, an amazing community builder um, who talks about design equity. She's one of our speakers as well. She's saying, what if the purpose of hospitality was really about community? Now, if you over-index on community, what does hospitality look like? What is the purpose of that? What is the role and opportunity of that hotel or restaurant to its local community? Um, and we've seen beautiful manifestations. I'm going to do a shout out to uh, my buddy, Craig Kalashian from KKAD Architects, who opened his own restaurant just prior to the pandemic. Um, who then, when his restaurant was struggling, decided to start just giving away food to feed all the needy people in the neighborhood. And of course, that is design equity. That's community building. That's, that's you know, and I, I, that's another level of, of giving and caring um, and empathy. Um, that's just a beautiful kind of example of maybe that's, maybe that's the lens you choose to look through for the future of hospitality. Okay. Yeah, he's one of my faves as well. But going back to the on the technology side, you know, there's all these nascent and burgeoning technology, and I guess nascent and legacy technology that's just evolving at such like an incredible rate right now. It also brings me to think about the idea in this Star Trek future of the Borg and just being fully connected. And if you think about the downside of that and what you're seeing through hotel of tomorrow, what's keeping you up at night with respect to the technological side of things. Okay. Well, so you remember when Napster first started and there was the digitization of music and the music industry was, was obviously fighting like crazy to, to hold on to their assets, but Everything wants to be digital, right? And with, with that digitization of books, digitization of and access to everything, cybersecurity, which it seems to be you know, a threat constantly, it's in today's news, it was in yesterday's news, it'll be in tomorrow's news. Um, you know, what, what concerns me is that with a heavy reliance upon technology, um, we are at greater risk. We are with with a digital with a digital connected um, network of everything. Um, there is risk that people seeking to take advantage of others uh, will continue to, um, you know, try to capitalize on that. Um, that concerns me. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night, um, but I would say that we should all be particularly wary and cognizant of the threat that's around us. Um, and it, I remember um, my dad, um, who has a, a, you and I have talked about my dad's business and, and is a glass artist and, and former lawyer. And I remember when he first got his first Mac computer, it was like a bubble back Johnny Ive designed Mac. And he said, um, Ron, I'm not going to put this on the internet because that way it'll be safe. No one can get to it. And I said, well, dad, what do you think the purpose of the computer is then? He said, well, it's just, it's just a place for me to store digital stuff. I said, okay, well, at some point you're going to change your mind about that. So, I mean, that's like the, that's like the balance that we have to strike is, you know, if we want 
the ability to have so much information, virtually all information available to us at any time um, in our pocket, then that means that uh, other people can have access to it too, if we're not you know, taking extra precautions. Yeah, I get concerned. It's not keeping me up at night, but are we building a ta- like this huge tower of Babel? You know, <laughs> and, and what comes after that? Yeah. Well, um, so there was a, now I'm going to have to try to radical, radical evolution. There's a book by Joel Jarrow called, it's fun that, uh, by the way, you and I keep like name dropping authors that people should read. Um, and actually, you know, at the end of your podcast, maybe you have like a list of all of these so people could actually. Oh, like, I'll have the, uh, we'll definitely put it in the show notes for sure. Don't okay, cool, cool, cool. So Joel Jarrow wrote this book called Radical Evolution. And, um, and he takes, um, he takes three different views on the future. He has Bill Joy uh, from Sun Microsystems, founder of Sun Microsystems, who's, who's in this kind of dystopic kind of point of view on, on where things are going. And he has Ray Kurzweil at the other extreme, who's kind of saying, no, technology is the panacea that you know, will we'll change our, our lives and the world for the better. And then I can't remember even who is kind of stuck in the middle there, who is kind of both um, you know, cautiously, you know, optimistic or pessimistic, whatever. But but it's a beautiful book that kind of says, hey, there, what people choose to do with technology uh, and the evolution of thought and resources, um, you know, is is you know up to them, and it could go lots of different ways. So, your view of the future is is obviously colored by your view of the world. Um, I have a tendency to think more optimistically and uh, glass half full kind of perspective. There's all kinds of potential. We're living in a, we're living at a time, look at us having a recorded podcast um, uh, from other parts of the world using technology, Zoom technology that didn't exist um, to this degree until recently supported by other technology and high-speed internet and all these various things. We're living at a time where a lot of that sci-fi future from several years ago has already become real. So um, we do have so much, and I don't mean to be like, you know, so pie-eyed and and sunny disposition about everything, but, and grateful for everything. We should, you know, I, I believe there's there's a lot of positives out there um, to be grateful for. And we are living at a time where so much is available to us that can make our lives richer and, and the world a better place. And, and on that side of, of the glass half full side and putting your Ray Kurzweil hat on, like what's exciting you most about the future? You know, this is a personal, uh, this one's a personal one. So my parents are getting to an age where they're less uh, able than they used to be. And um, years ago, I promised my my stepfather that we were going to go take this fishing trip. The four boys, I'm one of four boys. We we're going to take my dad fishing. And his health and life and circumstances kept us from taking this fishing trip. And I've felt bad about it ever since. Um, but I went to visit them recently and I brought VR headsets and my dad and I virtually fished together. He could sit in his lounge chair, put on his headset, and we could be virtually in a boat together with all the sounds and sights and feelings of being together, talking, sitting on a virtual boat together and bringing in some virtual bass into the boat. And that is amazing, right? That, that, is, that is transformative. Um, and for the people that haven't tried VR yet, and, and it's still in its earliest, there's a beautiful TED talk by Chris Milk, by the way, um, who talks about where VR is going, where it is now and where it's going. And he talks about it being very, very early in its evolution, kind of like when the first movie theater showed a train coming down the tracks towards the camera and the people screamed and ran out of the theater because it was so believable. VR is at that early, almost laughable stage still. However, it's the difference between watching a movie and being in the movie. And 
if you are unable to fish, but you can feel like you're fishing with your son in a boat, even if we weren't sitting in the same room together and we were, we could just as easily be, you know, um, sitting on opposite sides of the world and have that shared experience. I mean, if technology can do that, can give you a deeper level of connection or shared experience, even if it's virtual, that's a pretty optimistic kind of powerful uh, future that, you know, I'd like to enjoy even more. And it just makes me think about Star Trek even more. And (laughs) in particular, Star Trek Next Generation, where they had the holodeck and they could go in and experience anything, you name it. And it, you know, Jean-Luc Picard was one of my favorite, is one of my favorite characters. And I think, you know, as you tie in that idea of belief and courage, I think his one quote that I actually have a placard in my office of just make it so, Hmm. right? Those are words to live by. And I think that the stuff that you're doing um, with Hotel of Tomorrow and just also in your full-on day job with Getty's group is really just about making it so. It's making and taking those risks and having the courage to try it no matter what the outcome and the support by the leaders you surround yourself with to try that. And, and to me, it's just, it's incredibly inspiring for me also to help me feel supported to try new things when I see other people doing it. So I, again, I just want to say thank you again. Oh my God. It's my pleasure, you know, and there's something else, maybe I'm getting too personal, but I'm going to go this way anyway, just because you and I have this shared kind of uh, philosophy that it takes work, you know, courage, courage and stupidity are pretty close uh, together sometimes (laughs) when someone else is uh, looking at you. Um, But, um, you know, I think that if, if we spend the time to think about if we hit pause every once in a while, slow down, ask what's most important um, in our lives and try to live according to a higher, you know, a higher purpose or, or deeper commitment to, to living. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's part of the secret too. Um, you know, I, I don't have any great pearls of wisdom to share other than, I'm, I'm not as courageous and innovative and creative as a lot of people who I admire. Uh, so I have to set myself on that spectrum right in the place that feels right for me. And, and everyone probably has to do the same thing. Um, well, I, th- I think it also goes into, you know, you mentioned that idea of um, community and building communities and peer groups and surrounding ourselves with others who kind of want to test, test the boundaries of the way things have been done. Um, you know, that's community building right there. And thinking about the community that you've built with Hotel of Tomorrow, um, it's, it's inspiring as well. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it does inspire. I mean, that's the, that's the hope. And everyone, I haven't said this yet, but everyone's invited to participate. Um, you know, there is a financial commitment that's required just so we can offset some of the cost of what we're doing, not at all the cost of what we're doing, but um, some of the cost when you build an airship in the metaverse, which by the way, when I told you we were doing this, you know, like four or five months ago, you're like, what? Um, (laughs) Because everyone was right. But somehow like Mark Zuckerberg getting up there a couple of weeks ago and in his keynote and saying, no, 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 we're changing the company to meta and we're going all in on virtual reality um, because of what you can achieve in connection, level of connection between parties, not just looking at your screen and seeing somebody, which by the way, is already a nice step forward over just talking blindly to someone. Um, But the level of connection you feel in VR standing as an avatar and or sitting as an avatar, it doesn't matter and talking to someone else, it is a shared experience. Again, it feels like there's something there. So, so all of a sudden we say, oh, we're building this airship in the metaverse. And people's reaction is, well, of course you are, because you should be. The, 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 the future includes some other form of hybrid togetherness, right? Virtual togetherness, whatever 
that means, right? So since we're still in the early evolution of VR and because it's becoming more affordable, you can buy an Oculus 2 headset now for $300. That is incredible technology, um, but still, you know, it will be superseded by the next best thing, just like the iPhones continue to evolve. But, um, but it costs money for us to hire these world builders to create this airship and organize these events and everything like that. So we are inviting everybody to participate if you have the means to do so. Um, and it's only like 775 bucks to come to our series of events on our airship in the metaverse in the first quarter next year. And we hope that people do because um, you'll get to experience what I think is a real early indicator where things are going. Um, you and I've talked a little bit about conferences before and what you can get out of going to a conference either as an exhibitor or an attendee. And there's limitations. There's wonderful things that happened and collisions with people you haven't seen and reconnections and all that wonderful stuff too. But there's lots of things that could be improved upon. And there is a place for some form of virtual conferences where you don't have to travel, but you can still be together. You can collect data on who you've spent time with. You can share information easily. You can collaborate. You can do a lot of things in, in, a, in a digital world that you can't do in real life yet. Um, and there are many things you can't yet do in the digital world that you well, can do in real life. I think that with, in particular with the Hotel of Tomorrow and the, the airship in the metaverse, what I'm most excited about is to just, in the sense of like that field of dreams, if you build it, they will come like you've built it. I'm so excited to see how everyone comes. And then also to think about all the different new ideas about, wow, what are the implications that I can think of and can't think of in this new um, kind of ready player one world? If you could think of the best possible outcome for, for a successful hotel of tomorrow in 2022, what does that look like? Mm. Well, I hope that we reach our goal of having 200 participants, members. Um, we've already met our goal as it relates to the 20 sponsors that have stepped up, including Facebook Meta. Um, and I hope that people are through experiencing VR and hearing the ideas that are being presented about our future, that they're inspired to go back to their own companies and say, I just experienced something and I've heard some things that I think we need to pay attention to. And we need to start thinking differently about how we're doing what we're doing. And it may be a commitment to sustainability. It might be a commitment to new partnerships. It might be uh, a commitment to, you know, um, health and wellness. It, it, could be, it could be anything that kind of triggers that. But because they're not just sitting in a ballroom hearing a speaker speak, but they're in an airship listening to an avatar and then breaking out into interactive Q&A sessions with that speaker, um, which those will be in Zoom because it's too hard to handle that many people in VR right now. Um, I hope that they come back and that the next big ideas may have been germinated as a result of the hot project. Um, and then you know, the, the other- I just on that, I want you to finish that, but on the health and wellness side, um, I have the Oculus and it's amazing. It's really, really cool. It's so awesome. But I did a, a meditation app and it was like completely hallucinogenic. It was mm -hmm. unbelievable. And it just, it really took me somewhere else. And I just had to share that, but keep going with yours. No, but that work. is, that is part of the health and wellness focus for the hot project too, is, you know, there, the stresses and strains of life and the stresses and strains and anxiety of travel right now. And I know you've been traveling as I've been traveling throughout the pandemic and it's a different experience than it was pre-pandemic. And uh, for, for, for people who have a greater level of concern about their health or their health of others who they'll come into contact with, it is stressful. I mean, it is, you are now putting yourself at risk, not because you're flying an airplane, um, 
but because you're coming into contact with people inevitably mm. who who may be um, you know uh, at, at putting you at risk. So health and wellness is the psychological. What is what is what is the hospitality industry's opportunity and maybe even responsibility to lower your heart rate to to make you feel safe and comfortable, recover from that travel experience that you just had, prepare you for your next travel experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, so, so yes, the Oculus and, uh, as a, as a big fan of, of meditation and of headspace is my go-to, but, um, the VR experience is transformational. You can sit on a mountaintop and feel like you are overlooking, you know, the desert sky at sunrise and be convinced that that's, that's your surroundings for this, you know, important, you know, pause that you're putting into your day. So the, the place I was going just prior to the, that, that thought was, um, I'm a big fan of what the TED conference has done. And part of our aspirations uh, is to take the lessons that TED has been so incredibly adept at, at applying and bring them to the hotel industry. And they have a program called TEDx, as you know, um, that allows uh, regional, small regional conferences to pop up with speakers and, and inspiration. And, um, and they give you the tools to, to develop these small uh, conferences on your own. And our hope is that the Hotel Tomorrow Project can have something similar, can call it Hot X for now. Um, but the idea is we can give the tools to you so you can run ideation sessions about the future with your colleagues, with your peers, um, with whatever group you choose to. Um, so that's part of my hope. You asked what the an ideal outcome would be for 2022. I think part of the ideal outcome is giving people the tools to expand the message, uh, to expand the toolkit, to open more people's eyes than we can from the 300 or so total participants in, in our project this year. I love it. And then, you know, going back to the Ron in the tuxedo, <laughs> who actually was very courageous in going back to uh, Roger's table and repeatedly asking to keep their water filled and also ask for a job at the same time, knowing what this new current version of Ron knows and everything that you've seen in those 33 years, what do you go back and tell that Ron in the tuxedo filling up the waters? Mm, wow. You know, I didn't believe 33 years ago, even though I told you that I was, as a kid, I was, I was, I was, you know, my father was a glass artist. You know, my, my, my family said I was very, very, very fortunate. Uh, and we didn't grow up with a lot of money, but we, we, we prioritized education and family and, and, and creativity. We come from a family of artists, painters and glass artists and chefs. And, and they said, pursue what you love, right? So what a gift that is, right? Find what you love, pursue that, and you'll make a living at it. So here I was, an interior designer at the, that design degree, um, and no job, waiting tables. And I really didn't believe then that I could make a living doing what I enjoyed most, what I was most passionate about. I couldn't know that yet. I, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't achieved much of that dream yet. So I think I would tell that tuxedoed waiter at Fresco's on North Pier building in Chicago, just to continue to believe in yourself and pursue the thing that means the most to you. Um, because if you, if you really do believe that, and if you, I think, uh, are very lucky, I'll go back to that, um, you can, you can achieve some of what you, you set out to achieve. Maybe all of it. Or you're talking about that luck. You have to really create that luck by putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable. Yeah, I did. Um, and you do. Yeah. And, you know, I have 
two amazing kids, um, one who's, you know, post-college getting her PhD and the other one who's just finishing up his undergrad degree. And somehow my perspective shifted a lot when I had kids and, and now you're hoping that they achieve some of what they were able to achieve. And I'm trying to help them make good decisions, but ultimately they're old enough to make their own decisions. So it's back to this, is that idea of doing what you can, and I hate to say like trusting the universe, but, but kind of believing that they should pursue what they're most passionate about. I mean, my son, my son is a, is a, is a writer. He wants to write for film and, and television. And, and um, that's a creative field that um, isn't, isn't necessarily an easy one to um, have a sustaining kind of income level, but I hope he, I hope he does. And my daughter is, is, as at this point intends to be a professor and uh, uh, she's, she's an amazing, amazing person as well. But it's kind of the guidance that you asked me to give my, myself in 1988 um, is, similar to the kind of guidance I give my kids now, right? So that's, that's the beauty of the cycle. You know, have we created the conditions for, for the people we love to be able to do something similar? Pursue what you care most about. You know what? I say, fuck it. Like you have to trust the universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. who are you going to trust? Got to yeah. put it out there. We're all yeah. riding this wave. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's no uh, way to, without that, I think it would be, if you didn't believe that, if you didn't believe in the opportunity for all of us, um, that might be debilitating. So yeah, better to, better to pursue. And, and again, it's to see what you're capable of. I don't know what I'm capable of. I don't know what anyone's really capable of until they try or I try. And that's, that's when you get to know yourself, not by, you know, sitting in sitting in and waiting for something good to fall out of the sky yeah and then you can always rely on baseball because look if you're up there you're putting yourself in the batter's box if you hit one out of three you're going to the hall of fame (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i could go on a whole baseball tangent with you if you want but um, (laughs) we'll save that for the next one save that for the next one yeah hey uh ron so I just want to say thank you. In the meantime, where can people connect with you? And we'll also, we'll put it all in the show notes. Oh, thanks. So lots of different ways to connect with me. Um, first of all, you can find me, of course, on LinkedIn. You can find me um, on, uh, at, on Hotel Tomorrow on Instagram or on the Gettys Group on Instagram. Um, you can reach me at RSS. Those are my initials at Gettys.com, G-E-T-T-Y-S.com. Um, yeah, I'm easy to reach, uh, and happy to, happy to have, uh, you know, an increasing network of, uh, relationships. Wonderful. Um, and so that Ron, sounded weird. That sounded like I'm like, I'm in a committed relationship with a lovely please woman. Be my I friend. Love. I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Hey Ron, um, you made me feel great. You always make me feel mm-hmm. great. So I just want to say thank you for being an amazing guest. Uh, you're too kind. You made me feel great and welcome. And uh, you are a representative for the hospitality industry, Dan, your generosity, your kindness, your intellect. And thank you for sharing your platform with me and uh, for being my friend. You're very welcome, Ron. And for all of you listeners out there, if this helped change your ideas of hospitality and how to give and receive, and also from an innovative point of view, please pass it along. We love getting the word out. Thank you all very much. 